Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, this is a prepaid call from Temujin Kensu, a prisoner at the Michigan Department of Corrections. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Recently, we told the story of Temujin Kensu, formerly known as Fred Freeman, a man who was arrested, tried and convicted for the murder of Scott Macklem in 1986. It's a case that sounds like something straight out of a fiction novel. And one that Temujin has spent the last 37 years trying to find. So recently I have been trying to catch up with Temujin for a call to see how he's been going, but unfortunately another incident at the prison meant he was back in lockdown. So that means he's been unable to make contact with anyone on the outside. Thankfully, though, that lockdown finally was lifted. And Temujin was able to call me and told me what had happened. Yeah, well, we did a lot of violence. This presently is the most violent of all the prisons in Michigan. Yeah. And um, it's mostly because of bad management more than anything else. You really had the same population everywhere in the state. But when the management's bad, then that just creates a level of frustration that leads to a lot of uh, drugs and violence and things like that. So we had no stabbing here in my unit, and they put us on lockdown, even though, as always, they got rid of the people that did the bad stuff and left the innocent people behind and then punished them, which is kind of what they do in Michigan. But that just, I, so, I mean, you, uh, I know you know this, but that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. All you're just going to do is just piss off everybody no. else in that unit and make everyone else angry and... Well, you know, it's funny. I was here uh, in the 90s, and in 1996, there was a riot at the same prison. And it was the same thing. Frustration was boiling over. And when people are looking for a reason to go off, they'll find a reason to go off. And in that case, there were some pseudo-religious gangs that were having problems. And that was the spark that led to the place blowing up. And then they put us on lockdown, let us back out. The place blew up again. Put us on lockdown, let us out. It blew up again. Then they locked us down for several weeks. So here it is, you know, uh, close to 30 years later, same stupid mentality. These guys stab each other, you get rid of them, and then we're left behind, and you tear up our cells, you lock us down, you punish us. And as you said, that raises this, this enormous level of frustration with the prisoners. Like, we didn't do this, why are we being punished? But that's what they do here. 
And they've done it here time and time and time again. And uh, unfortunately, I got caught up in that yet, yet again. So being good doesn't really have any rewards in Michigan. The parole board doesn't care. They don't use it to consider, you know, your potential freedom. And then when something goes wrong, the innocent people are the ones that are always punished. And this is the thing, and I, and I see it, I see it in other places as well, as you know, other than Michigan, that you know, good behavior doesn't seem to to mean anything really. Not a bit, not a bit. When you go to the parole board, if you're a lifer like me, I've got a pile of college degrees and years of excellent conduct. I saved staff during a riot. Um, you know, serious health problems. None of that matters. They simply have a a, a lockdown mindset. As we know, Temujin has been incarcerated for 37 years. At his trial, he pleaded not guilty, of course, and would fight the allegations against him. Now, in the US, like many countries around the world, uses a plea system. Now, plea bargaining has been defended as a voluntary exchange that leaves both parties better off. Defendants have many procedural and substantive rights, including a right to a trial and to appeal a guilty verdict. By pleading guilty, however, defendants waive those rights in exchange for a commitment from the prosecutor, such as a reduced charge or more favourable sentence. It's seen by many as a positive thing. I mean, for a defendant who believes that conviction is almost certain, a discount to the sentence is more useful than an unlikely chance of acquittal. The prosecutor secures their conviction while avoiding the need to commit time and resources to trial preparation and a possible trial itself. Plea bargaining similarly helps preserve money and resources for the court in which the prosecution occurs. It also means that victims and witnesses do not have to testify at the trial, which in some cases may be traumatic. However, for those potential benefits, there is also many negatives, especially for someone who is innocent of a crime, who obviously doesn't want to take a plea, such as Temujin. You don't take the plea, and take your chances at trial can end very badly. We, we play this game in Michigan, which a lot of states don't really do, and that is uh, that we pretend that there's a difference in first and second degree murder. Now, technically, there's supposed to be a difference. First is supposed to imply premeditation and all these other elements, but we don't do that in Michigan. We just give everybody first degree murder. If you plead, they'll give you second-degree murder, and no matter how heinous your crime is, you have a chance of going home. So, you know, we use the Doug Chemileski case as an example of a man who raped, mutilated, tortured, and murdered his own great-grandmother, and he did far less time than he's home because he pled. Because I'm innocent and I refuse a plea bargain, I now have, you know, many more years than Doug, and even if I was guilty, which I'm not, a far, far less heinous crime. So this isn't about justice, it's not about public safety, it's not about... Uh, rehabilitation. It's punishing you for daring to stand up to the system. And so Doug, who, by the way, was a monster during his entire incarceration, you know, he was released, uh, I think it's going on two years ago now, and having served much less time than me. And I'm still sitting here getting, you know, continuous no's from the parole board. This is where this whole plea bargain, as you said, the whole plea bargain situation is just an utter joke. It's just like, okay, you admit that you did wrong and that, you know, you're a bad person and we'll give you less time than we will if you try and fight this. Right, which is an absolute violation of the American Constitution. Our Constitution is specifically worded to say that you cannot be penalized for exercising your right to a trial. It's in our First and Fourteenth Amendment as well as our uh, Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth. And so this is the foundation of this country's particular Constitution, you know, taken from the Magna Carta. 
And yet what we do in America is if you don't play ball or if you are innocent and you say, I didn't do this, you get the ultimate penalty, whether it be death or natural life in prison. So if you say, no, I want a trial, I didn't do this, they will give you as much time as possible, even though our Constitution specifically forbids that. In our 14th Amendment, it says no person shall be retaliated against in any way for seeking redress of grievances of the right to a fair trial. And yet they tell you flat out, if you go to trial, we're going to give you the max. Just simply them going, save us the time, save us the money of going to a trial and right. going through all of the effort. It's going to take us a long right. time. We're going to have to do all the you save us, you save us a bit of time and just say, you did it. Take this right. deal. You'll get a better deal. But if you make us go to trial and you make us do all this work, we are going to right. punish you further right. by giving you the maximum we yeah. possibly can. Yeah. Or kill you or literally kill you. Yeah. And that's why with all these wrongful convictions in America, and as you know, there have been thousands and thousands of them exposed in the last 10, 20 years. Almost every one of those people was serving a natural life sentence or a death penalty sentence because being innocent, they said, I didn't do this, so I'm not going to plead to it. They were given the maximum penalty, and so they served in enormous amounts of time. So in the U.S., you know, we average uh, 30 years or more on wrongful convictions before anybody gets any justice. And, of course, I'm approaching 40 years. Another guy on my show who um, was arrested at 16 years old for a crime he didn't commit, um, he, has, he literally got exonerated on Thursday. He spent 27 years in prison. He's now 43 years old. He went in prison. They put him inside when, right. he, was, when he was just 16. And there yeah, you have it. And he exactly. was another case of he said, I didn't do it, so I'm fighting this. Um, right. And 27 years yeah. later, he, yeah. he finally got exonerated. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. And all these guys cleared by DNA, and, you know, we've had thousands of those in the U.S. Those are usually the most heinous crimes. When there's DNA, it's usually murder and or a sex crime. And so being innocent, they said, I didn't do this. I, I, I had nothing to do with this crime. And, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later, when DNA came out, those guys were finally exonerated. And uh, rarely do they they apologize to these people. And what's really sad, and I've talked about this before in your program, is our appellate system is so bad that every one of those exonerated people lost all of their appeals for 20 or 30 years. The appellate courts kept shooting them down, and they were completely innocent. And so it really shows you how bad our appellate system is in the U.S. compared to, let's say, just across the border in Canada, where they have a much, much better system. And that's why they had so few wrongful convictions in Canada. But, and this is the thing is that, as you said, again, going back to this guy who just got exonerated, he, he went for all of his appeals, every single one of his, he was literally exhausting his final one going to the, the High Court of Appeals, um, who finally, right. finally saw some sense and said, well, no, hold on, there's stuff that we need to actually look at here uh, and sent it back to yeah. evidentiary hearing. So, I mean, it's just, it, it's, yeah. it, I mean, I don't have to tell you, mate, it's very frustrating. Uh, it is. And it is, and hopefully we're, we'll see some change sometime in the future. But until there's a radical shift in the way people think about these issues, and sadly the average person doesn't think about them because they don't affect them until they have a loved one incarcerated, and that's, yeah, we're exactly. not going to see any movement for change. And that's half of the reason why I, I do this show, because, well, it's probably most of the reason why I do this show, is because I want people to realise of what's going on and, hey, it's not so black and white, not so cut and dry. You know, yeah. this could and happen that's why to you. so important. Yeah, and like, and like I said, and I admitted this on your program, I had no idea this was going on. Like most people uh, in the country, I assume that if you were locked up, you probably did it. Yeah. You know, or you did something wrong. That was an ABC evening movie for us. You know, that wasn't a real thing where there were thousands of people behind bars that didn't do it. And the media, you know, it's forever has made fun of those People who sat there and said, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, copper, I didn't do it, you know, banging their cup against the bars. And I didn't know until I got in here, of course, that this happens all the time. And, and it still happens now. I hope not with the frequency it did in my day. 
But you are still seeing uh, a horrible abuse. This Michigan is absolutely one of the worst states. Seemingly with the justice system, there is simply no consistency when it comes to sentencing either. It can really come down to the judge you have on the day or the recommendation from a jury. You could have two people who commit similar crimes who both get vastly different sentences. Like in this particular example Temujin told me about from two men at his own facility. There's a guy on my block right now who killed his girlfriend who's serving 200 to 400 years. And uh, he was a young man when he did this. He admitted it. Whereas there's, there's a guy in here who just sawed somebody's head off and they gave him 35 years. So there's no balance whatsoever in our system. And the guy who got the 35-year sentence, he, he went back and got resentenced recently, and he's on his way home. And the young kid that just came in, um, you know, he's got two, two death sentences, basically. So what's the difference in the two crimes? Is, is one more heinous than the other? No. It's because in our differing jurisdictions in the U.S., there's no uniformity in sentencing. So a small town, they'll give you 500 years, and another town, they might give you 20. And... Um, Sadly, you know, this was done to me in a very small, corrupt county, very crooked county, famous for this. Thomas Edison, you know, inventor of the, uh, I guess you'd say the whole modern telegraph system, among other things. He wrote about Port Huron. If you Google what he had to say about Port Huron over 100 years ago, he said it was the most corrupt place he'd ever seen in his entire life. I mean, that's crazy when you think about somebody as famous as Thomas Edison actually wrote about the town that framed me for murder. Crazy. Okay, so we're going to take a very short break, and when we come back, we have got some questions from you to Temujin that he will answer for us next. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so we've had a couple of questions come through for Temujin over the past few weeks, so I've asked him uh, if he would mind answering a couple for us, and of course he is happy to oblige. Okay, mate, first question uh, was about your general sort of emotional state when it comes to your incarceration. Is it one of anger or frustration, sadness? What's your general emotional state? Like I always tell people, uh, this is obviously incredibly frustrating, and I think it's natural to feel some sense of anger or resentment against the system um, because this wasn't a simple mistake. This was, you know, a literal plan. There was a lot of misconduct involved. You know, we now know that witnesses were lied, uh, excuse me, uh, instructed to lie and then rewarded for doing so, and evidence was hidden, and the fact that my lawyer was a drug addict on probation with my judge, being monitored by my prosecutor. So, yeah, I mean, this this was deliberate in, in a lot of ways. And for a lot of years, I had anger. I had a lot of resentment against the system. And uh, But I also stupidly, naively believed for the longest time that this was going to be fixed. I, I would constantly say, oh, I'm sure the appellate court's going to fix this. And then when they did, and I'd say, oh, I'm sure the Michigan Supreme Court's going to fix this. And then I was sure the feds were going to fix it. And as you know, finally in 2010, they did fix it and said, uh, he's innocent and send him home. And uh, two years later, another higher appellate court, very corrupt one in Ohio, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, took back that reversal and said, well, we don't really care that you're innocent. You were late. And uh, they did the same thing again in 2017 when I won another victory in the federal courts. So I think each time that uh, I had those letdowns, you know, there, there was, as I said, you know, some resentment. But it's really, um, it's really about taking that frustration, that resentment, that uh, being disgusted with the whole process and trying to turn it into something positive. Yeah. So you can sit in your cell and you can fume and vent and, you know, rage against the sky. You're not going to accomplish anything. Or you can take that and turn it around. And so what I always try to do is channel that frustration, channel that, that disgust, channel that dislike and, you know, say to myself, okay, here's my energy, here's my fuel, and I'm going to keep on fighting. And then when you have the victories, you have to really, really celebrate those victories. Yeah, of course. Uh, for others, it's just as well as yourself. Yeah, so it can't just be about yourself. It has to be about fighting for everybody. And that's really my goal, and that's what I spend my time doing. Okay, next question. Uh, when it comes to your release, do you just want to go home, or are you focused on completely clearing your name? So basically, I think what they're trying to say is, you know, if, if the authorities came to you tomorrow and said, hey, look, we'll let you out, but we are not admitting... Uh, that we've done anything wrong, or are you focused on that full exoneration? Um, people always ask me, uh, you know, would you would you waive your ability to litigate if they would let you go? And um, and actually, uh, as I mentioned, that just came up with some friends of mine in New York just just yesterday. And um, obviously, the goal is to clear my name. The goal is to prove that I didn't commit this crime. Nobody wants to be a wrongfully convicted. Uh, criminal, especially a wrongfully convicted murderer, because the stigma of that carries with you. Course, in, yeah. I'm sure it's the same in Australia now, the technology, but in America, even at a traffic stop, the minute they run your name, it literally flashes on the screen with this bright red and yellow border, convicted murderer. So you can imagine how law enforcement are going to react to even a simple traffic infraction when they see they just pull over a convicted murderer. Yeah, guns drawn so, a whole lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't come visit you in Australia because of uh, Australia's laws yeah. regarding travel for convicted felons yeah. to your country. Yeah, and so on. So there's so many uh, impediments 
that even if the governor said, yeah, we'll let you go tomorrow, those burdens, those impediments, those weights would always be there. And so obviously the goal is to get an acknowledgement of my innocence. And But that has also been a problem for us, too, because we believe that a lot of the reticence in her administration is we don't want to acknowledge this guy's innocence because if we acknowledge his innocence, he qualifies for compensation under a law that we have here in the States that compensates wrongfully convicted prisoners for each year they spend behind bars. And then, of course, we can bring a wrongful conviction lawsuit, which uh, there are several in Michigan right now that are over $100 million cases. And uh, those guys have done less time than me, or, or the time they did wasn't as bad as the time that I've done. Yeah. Or the violations weren't as great in the case. So that the administration has actually expressed a concern about that, and that word actually has come up repeatedly. So what I've said is, I don't care about the money. Um, I would love to have my name cleared. Um, I don't think they want to do that because then I qualify for the money. So in the end, my goal is, you know, I have serious health challenges and I get no proper care in here whatsoever. And um, the goal is to secure my freedom, get back to my loved ones, my, my amazing wife and our puppies and our home and start fighting for others. And uh, then I can get appropriate care at that time. So I, obviously you have to accept whatever gift you're given and be grateful for it. Um, it isn't like, you know, they'd say, pack up tomorrow, you're going home, but you're convicted. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to stay here in the cell and fight it out. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll have my cell emptied out before they finish the sentence, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and, and be grateful for it and, you know, and, and sing the praises of those that helped me get there. But obviously, in the end, we would like to see an acknowledgement of what happened in this case. I don't know if that will ever come, though. I don't know if they'll ever do that. So, so the prosecutor in this case who then became came on to be a judge. Now, the last I heard from um, yeah. Bill Proctor was that he he's retired or he had na- he had announced his retirement from the bench. We don't have a, a, an absolute confirmation. We were told by some insiders that he is going to be retiring, uh, but he's still there right now doing some damage. Right. And um, he has been a he has been a nightmare as a federal judge and a, a horrendously racist individual. He actually um, in a in a public statement a couple of years back, he referred to migrants as Japanese beetles, like an infestation. Wow. I mean, you know, in, in America where political correctness is very, very powerful right now, usually a statement like that would get you crucified by the media and pulled off the bench. But he has somehow, you know, escaped responsibility for those kinds of comments. But it shows you that mindset when you have that level of power, and this is the way you perceive uh, literally tens of millions of people that are in this country. So. Uh, you know, a man like that should not be sitting on that bench. So since we last spoke, has there been any developments at all? Because I know obviously we, the, there's the clemency situation uh, with the governor. I mean, have, we, have we had any any further information on anything at all? No, we've, we've got a, a lot of great new people that have come on board, but uh, it's been radio silence from her office. She has simply refused to discuss this matter. She's refused all media interviews. Um, the comments she's made in the past were, you know, pretty flippant. You know, a couple of years ago, it was the, oh, it's in the parole board's hands after we had already sent her recordings from the parole board where they had said they would absolutely would not consider my innocence. Even though they don't question my innocence in Michigan, they will not consider innocence as a grounds for parole. Other states do. Michigan won't. We have one of the worst systems in the country. And um, so uh, we don't know why she's refusing to act. She's been called out for it endlessly. Um, we have enormous support, even from her, you know, her side of the political spectrum, Democrats and the more progressive liberals. But 
basically what people are saying is until she feels there's a price to this or until the exposure is so great that she can no longer ignore it, she's not going to she's not going to fix this because she knows about it. She's known about the case since before she came into office and she's refused to do anything about it, uh, you know, in two clemencies in the past. And even though every innocence group in the nation has joined on, she's still refusing to do anything about it. So uh, we don't know why. We 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 hear rumors. but What what about a presidential pardon? Have you tr- ever tried that before? Well, yeah. Sadly, in America, the president of the United States does not have the authority to pardon state prisoners. And oh, um, okay. even though thousands have reached out to our Justice Department, yeah, our U.S. Attorney General, he would have some power. Merrick Garland would have the power through his Civil Rights Division to take an action on my behalf. But again, his office has refused to respond to anybody that's reached out to him as well. So, you know, probably in part protecting Governor Whitmer. Um, basically, the people in power protecting the, the people in power. Utterly uh, mind-boggling how this is just able to be yeah. to be done and ignored. I just, it's yeah. absolute. And when, because yeah. uh, like I, I've said on many episodes before, like it's it's almost it's it's so depressing, not just for you, but for other people who are wrongfully convicted who don't have the, the backing that you've got or the access right. to the resources yeah. that you've got and you still can't get out with all of those resources. That, that's such a great point too. Um, you know, I, I don't want to sound uh, like I'm being grandiose, but obviously we have an insane level of support do, all around yeah. the world yeah. and, she's, and she's still ignoring it. And there are a lot of innocent people. There are a lot of people suffering that don't have that support. And so what everybody basically says is, if you can't get out and you've got John Cryer, you know, from Two and a Half Men tweeting for you and Susan Sarandon is posted for us and all these famous attorneys, the singer of Judas Priest, you know, uh, Tim Ripper Owens, and I could go on and on, all these amazing people that have come out for us, people like Jason Flom, you know, who headed the three biggest record companies in America and Muhammad Ali's daughter and so on, they're doing everything in their power they're talking to people, they're calling in favors, they've contacted the governor and said, what are you doing? Why are you not fixing this? And I feel so bad for the people that don't have anybody. And you know, remember, it's taken us 37 years to get to this point. So how many people are still languishing in cells that don't have a support network? And I wouldn't have the support network if I didn't have my wife of 23 years who passed away. Mm. And then, you know, of course, Paula came into my life and she's been fighting for me daily. And a lot of people don't have that. So... With this level of support and this number of attorneys and judges and law enforcement and so on, politicians saying, let this man go, and the governor is able to just ignore the whole thing, it it's actually should be very frightening. Oh, at least for Americans, terrifying. It be terrifying. That this, yeah, that a governor can just go, ah, well, whatever, I don't care. I don't, see, I don't see what this does for me. Because there's no question that nobody in her administration has ever denied my innocence. Nobody in the attorney general's administration has ever denied my innocence. Not one person has said... Well, we're not convinced he's innocent. They haven't even hinted that. And that would kind of be the ultimate defense for them. It would be an excuse for them. And in all these years, they have never hinted that one time. So then you have to ask, okay, you're acknowledging he's innocent. Why are you leaving him in prison? And how terrifying is that for an American citizen? You know, where we go on and on about being the land of the free. Uh, we're really not. Obviously. Yeah, we have 2.7 million people incarcerated and you know, we still maintain some of the most brutal systems in the world out in the civil, I guess what we call the civilized nations. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny, Jack. Uh, there's been a lot of talk here in the States about trying to put her in the White House. Oh, and when I, I mean talk, I mean like literally our, our two major networks, Fox and CNN, talk about this daily. And, you know, with all the controversy with what's going on with Joe Biden, 
he's he's absolutely not going to make or survive a second term. Now the liberal publications are going after him. Now CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post are are really busting him for all the corruption with his son and the money. Yeah. And people in America feel that it's a way to get him out. Yeah. It's a way to say, okay, no second term for Joe Biden. And but then who's going to fill the gap? And what they want here in the states is Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, and Gretchen Whitmer to be his vice president. So she now has aspirations for the White House. And what we've been saying is, what a lot of my backers have said is, there's no way they're going to let her go into the White House unscathed with what she's doing to me. Mm. And we've got some names I can't say on the air, but some very powerful, very wealthy, very connected people saying, oh, no, no, no. And so, yeah, if, if the media could go after her, if enough friends from around the world could start calling her out for this, she would probably realize there's a political risk to not fixing this. And I think then and only then she would do it. Now, I am in the process of making my own line of inquiries with the governor's office. Up until now, she has ignored any requests for interviews with the media on the Temujin case, but you never know. So I will keep you updated. Uh, All right. Well, I want to do another chat with you soon, buddy, so I'll send you a message and we'll arrange that. But thank you for calling me back. All right, my friend. Uh, Listen, love and blessings to everybody there. And and to all the fans, please give them my best. I will. Stay safe, brother. I'll talk to you soon. And your family too, Jack. Be blessed, bro. Be be safe. Thanks, mate. Talk soon. All right, buddy. Goodbye. You have one minute remaining. Of course, we will keep you updated with Temujin's story and his situation and give you any updates as they come through. One Minute Remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production, created, hosted, and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of ESA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.